Welcome to Keeping Fit with Stories. Today's story is going to take you 3,000 steps closer to your target. So deep breath. And let's begin. Our story today comes from the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is a text written in approximately the 6th century AD. And this is one of the most important creation stories for the Hindus. Protected from the heat of the sun, the sage Durvasa walked through the forest. Durvasa was the crankiest, most bad-tempered sage that had ever lived. He had only ever smiled once in his life, in his entire life, which he proudly told everybody. But what really delighted him, what he was really famous for across kingdoms, was the number of curses that he had placed on people. Everyone was petrified of him. So, wearing a scowl and a loincloth, Durvasa walked through the forest, prayer beads in hand, chanting, when all of a sudden, he was disturbed from his meditations by an unfamiliar sound. It was a sound that he had never heard before. Durvasa opened his eyes, just in time to see a young girl come whirling out from between the trees, dancing, singing, laughing, with not a care in the world. Now, Durvasa, as you can imagine, was very angry. First, he did not approve of young people laughing and dancing and singing anyway. But worse than that, how dare this girl do it in front of him? Didn't she know who he was? He decided to teach her a lesson. He was going to put a stop to all this happiness nonsense forever. He was going to put a curse on her. But as he raised his hand to utter the curse, the girl suddenly noticed him and she immediately stopped to pay her respects. Durvasa stopped mid-curse. Hmm. She had shown some sense after all. Maybe he could let her off this time with a strong warning. Unfortunately, before he could open his mouth, the girl had whirled off again, laughing, singing, dancing back into the woods. Now, you can almost imagine Gurvasa's fury this time. How dare she? No one, and I mean no one, waltzes off when he is speaking to them. That's it. This time, he was definitely going to curse her. Once again, he lifted his hand to pronounce the curse. But as he did, a thought struck him. Why was she so happy? What can make someone forget the danger they are in and jump around in front of the great Durvasa himself? I mean, what could make you that happy? Yet again, Durvasa lowered his hand and tapping the girl on her back, he said, Why are you so happy? The girl said, I don't know. It's this garland of fresh flowers that I'm wearing. There is something in the fragrance that it has this strange effect on me. Durvasa was intrigued. Do you think I could have this garland? He asked. The girl immediately took off the garland and gave it to the sage. Very gingerly, Durvasa put it on 
But as soon as he did, the garland had the same strange effect on him as it had done on the girl. And this cranky old sage, who had never even smiled in all his life, suddenly found himself laughing and spinning and dancing like a little boy. Jumping up and down on his thin bony legs, unable to stop himself, the sage spun out of the forest and smack bang into Indra, who was sat on his beautiful white elephant. Okay, time for a stretch as I explain. Indra is the king of the heavens. He rules over all the gods of the elements and he himself is the god of the thunderbolt, so he is very powerful. But so is Durvasa very powerful. So powerful that he can even put a curse on the gods. And so Indra, like everybody else, is also quite nervous of Durvasa when they meet up. Okay, back to the story. Five, four, three, two, one, and let's go. So we were with Durvasa as he comes spinning out of the woods and sees in front of him Indra, the king of the gods, seated on his great white elephant. Recognizing the great god, Durvasa bowed to him and offered him his magical garland as a gift. Indra also bowed to the sage and graciously taking the garland, he placed it on his elephant's head in front of him, in pride of place. Unfortunately, the garland had had the same effect on the elephant as it had done on Durvasa and the poor creature had begun to whirl and spin and dance around madly, jumping up and down and round and round. He couldn't stop himself and it was driving him mad. Finally, not being able to take it anymore, he had reached up with his trunk and grabbing the garland, he dashed it to the ground and crushed it under his foot. Durvasa was furious. His gift had been rejected. He felt humiliated. Whipping around, he let fly that curse that he had been holding on to for so long. Indra of the heavens, he said. For this humiliation, I curse you. I curse you and all the other gods in your kingdom. You will lose your powers and become so weak that the demons will defeat you in battle and throw you out of the heavens. They will rule the heavens and you will live like animals in the forest. Poor Indra. He was desperate. This hadn't been his fault. He begged, he pleaded, he cried. He threw himself at Durvasa's feet. He even chopped off the head of the offending elephant. But nothing. The curse had been pronounced. In no time at all, the curse had started to take effect. The gods became weaker and weaker till finally the demons defeated them and threw them out of the heavens. And just as the sage had predicted, they had ended up living in the forests like animals, miserable and helpless. And this is how they had stayed for a million years. Finally, when their misery had reached its peak, when they decided they just couldn't take it anymore, the gods had decided to go and see Lord Vishnu because, well, Lord Vishnu was very clever and he would definitely think of something to help them out. Lord Vishnu had listened to the whole story and then he had sat down to think. With his chin in his hand, he had thought this over for three days, turning over one plan after another in his head till finally, 
After three days, he had smiled and said, I have it. I have the solution. At the bottom of the cosmic ocean, there sits a pot of Amrit, the nectar of immortality. All you need to do is churn the ocean, lift out the pot and drink the Amrit. This will give you all the superhuman strength that you need to fight the demons and win the heavens back. Now, as you can imagine, the gods were thrilled. They had known that Lord Vishnu would somehow find a way. Why hadn't they come to him earlier? For the first time in one million years, they could see an end to their troubles. There was much celebration and jubilation. But suddenly, one of the gods, Varuna, the god of the waters, thought of something. Did you say we should churn the ocean? Is that even possible? At which Lord Vishnu had smiled and said, no, it won't be easy. As a matter of fact, I don't think you can do it at all. Huh? What? What? But for goodness sakes, then why on earth had he even suggested it in the first place? But Lord Vishnu had continued unfazed. Actually, for this, you will need the help of the demons. You know, with every sentence, this plan was getting worse. Obviously, the Supreme Lord had just been messing with them. Almost in tears, one of the gods said, But why would the demons help us? They are our sworn enemies. We are in, in this state because of them. Because, said Lord Vishnu, because you are going to offer to share your Amrit with them, your nectar of immortality with them. And this time, there was pure outrage amongst the gods. The Amrit, the nectar of immortality that can give you everlasting life and superhuman strength. You want us to willingly share it with the demons, with our worst enemies, who are already so powerful. Listen to me, said Vishnu. You need the Amrit, and the only way that you're going to get it is with the help of the demons. And the only way that the demons are going to agree to help you is if you offer them a share of the Amrit. But understand this, I do not actually expect you to share the Amrit with them. As a matter of fact, I forbid it entirely. The demons must never get their hands on it, not even a drop of it. You will merely promise to share it with them, just to trick them into helping you. Because churning the ocean will need a lot of strength. And this muscle power you do not have. But that's enough talk. You have a lot of work to do, so let's get moving. First, you have to go and convince the demons to help you. And they are not stupid, so try and look a little less sulky and a little bit more convincing. And second, when you begin to churn the ocean, many other wonderful and precious things will be thrown out of the waters. You will not, and I repeat, not ask for any of those things. No matter how much you want it, you will not ask for anything. As a show of good faith, let the demons take everything. No arguments. Remember, your focus is the Amrit alone. Stick to that thought. Oh, and I guess I should warn you about one other thing. The poison. The first thing that will come out of the ocean when you begin to churn is the lethal poison halahal. It is the deadliest of all poisons and if it is not contained immediately, it will kill you and destroy the whole world. 
So you will have to figure out how to deal with that as well if you want to survive. Okay, I think that's everything. You got all that? Great. Off you go. Good luck. And saying that, Lord Vishnu shooed them all out. No, the gods hadn't got all of that and they were very doubtful about the success of this plan, but they did as they were told. They went to see the demons and using all of their charms, just as Lord Vishnu had said, they managed to convince the demons to help them in return for the share of the Amrit. Then the logistics were sorted. For the churning pole, it was decided that they would use Mount Mandar. One, because Mount Mandar was the tallest mountain in the world, but also because it was ready-made. So they could simply pull it out of the ground and carry it to the ocean rather than trying to build something of that size. For the rope, now this had been far more difficult to find because of the length that was needed. But eventually, they had convinced the giant serpent Vasuki to help them out. They had promised him a share of the Amrit as well. You see, Vasuki was twice the size of the earth, which was just the right size needed for churning an ocean. Everything was in place and they were ready to start. Unfortunately, however, things were not destined to go well for them. Pulling the mountain out of the ground had been quite easy, just as they had thought. But when they had tried to pick it up, to carry it to the ocean, somehow its weight had increased tenfold and it collapsed on top of them, killing hundreds of them and injuring them in their thousands. They had tried to pick it up again and the same thing had happened and again and again. And it got so bad. There were so many deaths and injuries that finally Lord Vishnu had to be summoned for help. Lord Vishnu had arrived on his great golden eagle, Garuda, and propping up one end of the mountain on his eagle, he had helped to carry it to the ocean. Gratefully, the gods and the demons had taken over from here. They had hoisted the mountain into the middle of the ocean and placed it in the perfect spot, right in the center, ready to churn. But it sank to the bottom of the ocean. They had pulled it out and set it into place again, but once again, it sank to the bottom of the ocean. Again and again and yet again. The ocean, you see, was deeper than they had thought and they just couldn't get the mountain to balance. Once again, Lord Vishnu had had to come to their rescue. He had, with his magic, raised the floor of the ocean ever so slightly, just enough to fit the mountain, just to make sure that it would balance. He is, after all, the preserver of the universe. He can do these things. Well, finally, it seemed that everything was ready. The mountain was in place. Vasuki, the snake, had arrived and had been wrapped around the mountain and the churning could begin. But as I said, this wasn't destined to go well. And just at this point, an argument broke out between the demons and the gods about who would get to hold the head of the snake and who would hold the tail. Okay, time for a quick stretch as I explain this bit. See, the lower part of the body is not considered to be pure and the upper part is. So as a matter of pride, one did not hold the tail, one held the head. Okay, stretch done. In that case, five, four, three, two, one. And we're back with the story. 
So we had got to that part in the story where everything is in place, but the argument has begun about who will hold the head and who will hold the tail of the snake. And everything comes to a grinding halt yet again. The demons insisted that since they were doing most of the work, they got to choose and they chose the snake's head. The gods were not happy about this because, well, it was beneath their dignity as well. But they remembered Lord Vishnu's warning. They were not to argue about anything. And so, unhappily but quietly, they took their place at the tail and the churning finally began. Unfortunately, however, there was still more trouble to come. The mountain, you see, was covered in sharp rocks. And each time the gods and the demons pulled at Vasuki, the snake's stomach rubbed against all of those rough edges and it really hurt. Vasuki tried his best to hold it in, but eventually he just couldn't bear the pain anymore and he let out a howl of agony. The problem was the snake's breath was made of fire and poison. And remember, he had five heads, so you can imagine the amount of fire and poison that must have been inside him. And when he opened his mouth to howl, the demons who were holding the heads were burnt and suffocated and poisoned. Some even died. Now, interestingly, the gods who were on the other side holding the tail didn't do too badly out of this one because although Vasuki's tail was also flailing around wildly in pain, its movement only served to fan the gods and keep them cool. Hmm. I wonder if this was just pure luck or part of the strategy as well. But anyhow, once again, the churning came to a halt. And yet again, Lord Vishnu had to be called to come to the rescue. This time with his magic, he put Vasuki to sleep for the entire duration of the churning so that this wouldn't happen again. And the churning was resumed. With the mountain balanced, with Vasuki asleep, with the demons revived, the churning gathered speed and the cosmic ocean and the cosmic ocean, which was as vast as the universe and as calm as glass, was starting to look more like a wild whirlpool. Hope was running high. Maybe this time it would all work out. But no such luck, I'm afraid. This whole project seemed to have been cursed from the beginning. This time, it was the mountain spinning so fast that it had actually bored a hole through the ocean floor and started to drop through. Once again, Lord Vishnu had to come back. He may as well have done the project on his own at this rate. But anyhow, this time he created of himself a giant turtle that would sit at the bottom of the ocean and be a platform for the mountain to rest on so that the mountain would not go through the ocean floor again. And such was his strength and his glory that no matter how hard the mountain spun, it did not even make a dent on the turtle's back. Once again, the churning resumed. The churning got faster and faster. The ocean began to spin in every direction, so much so that the universe was covered in froth and foam. Maybe, maybe this time everything was finally going to work out. Maybe everything that could go wrong had gone wrong and had been fixed. 
maybe this time it would all be okay. But then, suddenly, and without warning, the poison erupted, the halahal. Lord Vishnu had said that it would be the first thing to come out of the ocean, and he had warned that it was to be the deadliest, most toxic poison in the universe. The gods and the demons, however, had not paid too much attention to these warnings about the poison because, well, they were convinced that they could deal with anything. How bad could any poison be? They were soon to find out. Because this poison, when it erupted out of the ocean, it was totally out of their control. Even before they had time to cover their mouths, some of them had blacked out, some of them had died, some had begun to choke. No one could contain it. Their only hope now was Lord Shiva, Mahakal, the Lord of Time, he who will dissolve the universe at the end of time. And so, choking, coughing, almost dying with their last breaths, they called out to Lord Shiva to beg for his help. Shiva, they say, is the kindest of all the gods and he can never deny his worshippers anything. And so, taking pity on this pathetic little group, he scooped up the poison in his hands and he swallowed it. He took it into his own body and he promised that there it would remain, stored inside him for all eternity, so it could never harm the earth again. Unfortunately, a couple of drops had fallen to the ground, but even at this point, his snakes and his scorpions had quickly come and licked them up before they could burn the earth. They had sacrificed themselves because they knew that in the process, they would become deadly and venomous as well, never to be loved by human beings again. But guess what? It seemed that this might actually have been the last of the problems. Yes, it looked like it was finally going to work out. Okay, time for a very quick stretch just as the churning resumes. And five, four, three, two, one. Back to the story. The churning has resumed. It's all going pretty well now. Momentum is gathering. And one by one, the ocean begins to throw up its treasures, just as Lord Vishnu had promised. And the first thing to come out of the ocean is Kamdhenu, the cow of plenty. Kamdhenu is the source of eternal good fortune. You know, when Lord Vishnu had said that there would be incredible treasures coming out of the ocean, nobody had realized just how incredible they would be. Everyone wanted Kamdhenu. The demons, of course, wanted her, but also the gods wanted her desperately. And even though Lord Vishnu had said that they were not allowed to ask for anything, this one, the gods were willing to take on a fight for. But before the fight could start, the Brahmins, the sages, had walked off with Kamdhenu because they said, everyone knows the first thing that comes out of any prayer belongs to the Brahmins. The others had been furious. The gods and the demons had all been furious because if that was the case, then how come the Brahmins hadn't come and claimed the poison? Because after all, that was the first thing that had come out of the ocean. To this, the Brahmins had had no answer, but since the whole wretched problem had begun because of the curse of a Brahmin, it was considered wise not to argue. The next thing to come up was a hoard of precious jewels, exquisite beyond belief. The demons had kept all of them. 
they had stored them in their mouths, wedging them tight between their teeth to make sure that they didn't fall out during the journey. Next had come Varuni, the goddess of wine. Varuni had looked totally wild and disheveled when she had emerged from the waters, but the demons had been delighted with her because it is said that with her blessing, you can turn rice into alcohol. Oh, lots of wonderful things had come out of those waters, some beautiful, some strange, but all of them priceless beyond belief. There were trees that could fulfill wishes and plants that could unveil a previous life. There were beautiful nymphs and there were dangerous weapons. Even Lakshmi, the goddess of wealth, had emerged from these waters. It was all very exciting. And although by the rules of agreement, everything should have belonged to the demons, in reality, there had been a fight over almost everything and the demons had barely ended up with half the stuff. The gods had taken several of the things and even Lord Shiva and Lord Vishnu had claimed a couple of the treasures for themselves. So Lord Shiva, for instance, had taken the crescent moon as a jewel for his hair. And Lord Vishnu had decided that he wanted the cost of money, a giant pink jewel that he still, till date, wears on his heart. But then, after all the excitement of all of these treasures, the ocean had suddenly gone completely quiet. There was absolutely no sign of the Amrit, of the nectar of immortality. No matter how hard the gods and the demons churned, and they were exhausted from the churning. They had been churning for God knows how many cosmic years already. But no matter how hard they churned, nothing more seemed to be coming up. They were starting to feel very unmotivated. Was the Amrit even a reality? Was there really a nectar of immortality sitting at the bottom of the ocean? They didn't think so. Once again, Lord Vishnu had come back to help, this time to cheer them up. And to motivate them, he had said that he would help with the churning as well. Dark as a rain cloud, wearing beautiful yellow silk robes, his fish-shaped earrings gleaming like streaks of lightning. He joined the gods and the demons to help them pull that rope. Every now and then, his hair would fall onto his forehead, but with a toss of his head, he would just push it back and carry on. His eyes turned red with tiredness and his arms were exhausted, but still he continued to churn so that the others would not feel downhearted. Together they all churned, but still there was no Amrit. The waters turned as white as purest milk from the fury of the churning, but still there was no Amrit. The fish, the sharks, even the whales were tossed up and down ruthlessly on those spinning waves. But still there was no Amrit. But suddenly, just as everyone felt that they just could not go on anymore, a strange hush had fallen over the ocean. The skies turned golden, the air filled with perfume, and out of the waves arose a young man, tall, dark, heavenly to look at. His name was Tanvatri. He wore clothes of yellow silk and many ornaments made of gold and precious stones. And in his heavily jeweled hands, he held a pot of gold. And in that pot, was the Amrit, the nectar of immortality. 
You know, it was the most amazing sight. No one had been able to move an inch. It was as though they were hypnotized. But it was the demons who had come to their senses first. While the gods were still staring in awe at this golden man and his pot of gold, the demons had rushed forward and grabbing the pot of nectar from his hands, they had run off with it and started to argue amongst themselves about who was going to drink the Amrit first. One said, I should have it first, I'm the strongest. Another one said, no, no, I should have it first, I'm the bravest. Another one said, well, I think I should have it first, I have three heads. The gods looked at each other. This was terrible. The demons were not even meant to have a single drop of the Amrit and there they were with the whole pot. Once again, Lord Vishnu had come to help. I wonder sometimes if by now Lord Vishnu was completely fed up with the gods and their constant helplessness. Had he perhaps rolled his eyes and thought, oh, for heaven's sakes, not again? But then again, maybe not. He is after all God. He has more patience. But you know, the situation was truly a bad one. The demons had got hold of the pot of Amrit and they were not likely to give it up very easily. And Vishnu had to think of a plan very quickly before one of them drank the Amrit. And so, with a flash of his magic, Lord Vishnu had turned himself into Mohini, the Enchantress, the most beautiful woman that had ever walked the three worlds. More beautiful than imagination itself. And then, having turned himself into the beautiful Mohini, Lord Vishnu presented himself before the demons. And, as was to be expected, the demons took one look at Mohini and they all fell completely and hopelessly in love with her. She was so ravishingly beautiful that they even forgot all about the Amrit. The Amrit that they had worked so hard to fish out of the ocean. Ignoring even that, they crowded around her, begging for her attention. One said, marry me, I'm the strongest. The other one said, no, no, marry me, I'm the bravest. Another one said, no, no, marry me, I have three heads. Mohini smiled at all of them, but she wouldn't commit. She said, how can a woman talk about a man that she likes in public? I'm shy. The demons, however, had fallen madly in love. They weren't thinking clearly anymore. They said, how about you give this nectar of immortality to the one that you like the best? Let him be the first to drink it. That way, you won't have to say his name and we'll all find out anyway. Go ahead, choose. And saying that, they handed the pot of Amrit to Mohini. The pot with the nectar of immortality, the one that they had worked so hard to get, the one they had almost destroyed the world for. They handed it over to the enchantress without a second thought. Lord Vishnu's plan was working perfectly. Taking the nectar from them with the most irresistible smile, Mohini sat all of the demons in front of her in a line while all the gods quietly went and sat in a line behind her, opposite the demons. And then she walked up and down the line pretending to look at the demons to see which one she was going to choose for her husband, talking to them in the sweetest tones as she went along. But all the while, feeding the gods who were sitting behind her from under her arm. Up and down she went, making sure that she had fed all the gods. The demons who were completely besotted with her did not even realize what she was doing. 
They couldn't tear their eyes away from her smile, her eyes, her voice. But right towards the end of the line, there was one demon called Rahu who was not taken in. He could see what she was doing and he had tried to nudge the other demons next to him to warn them about what was going on. But no one was prepared to listen to him. They were far too busy trying to impress the enchantress. And so realizing that he wasn't going to get any Amrit in this way, Rahu quietly got up from his place in the line of demons and unnoticed, he slipped into the line of the gods behind her. And before she had realized what she was doing, Mohini had fed him some of the Amrit as well. Unfortunately for Rahu though, he had been spotted and Lord Vishnu, quick as lightning, had jumped up and grabbing his lethal discus, his Darshan Chakra, he had sliced the demon's head off. The only problem was, however, that Rahu by now had already drunk the Amrit and so, although he was in two pieces, he was immortal, he couldn't be killed. Vishnu had to do some more clever thinking. So, quickly, he took the immortal head and body and he planted them in the sky as the immovable stars, Rahu and Ketu. Poor Rahu. He had been looking forward to a wonderful life of immortality and unending power. And instead, he found himself stuck for all eternity in two pieces in a corner of the universe, unable even to move. But in all this chaos, the demons had realized that they had been tricked and jumping up, they attacked the gods. It was a long battle. It went on for years with each side grabbing and pulling at the nectar of immortality at the pot of Amrit. The pot of Amrit got thrown around so much, it's a wonder that it didn't fall and spill all over the ground. Only four drops of the liquid had spilled. The rest had been saved. Now, although the demons fought with all their strength, unfortunately, they were no match for the gods who had just drunk the Amrit and were full of divine energy. So this time around, the gods won the battle. They won back their heavens. The demons were thrown back out into the underworld and all was normal again, at least for the time being. And as for the four drops of Amrit that had spilled out, the four places where they fell became forever holy spots. And till today, the Kum Mela is held in each of these places to remind us about the fight between good and evil, of the struggle of the gods and the generosity and love of Lord Vishnu.